Osiris. It's more important for me that people see a part of themselves reflected in music. If it helps somebody get through the day, then feel what you need to feel because once you put a song out, it's not even really yours anymore. That's the gift and the beauty and the burden of music and being an artist. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Hey everybody, welcome to Salute the Songbird. I'm your host, Maggie Rose. And first of all, I want to wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. I know that I'll be taking this break to restore, rest up, and replenish before I hit the road once again in December to conclude, I can't believe I'm saying this, the Have a Seat Tour. We've been out since July, and of all the things I'm grateful for, being able to be back out there and connect with you and play live music is definitely high on the list but i'm so grateful to all of you who listen to this podcast regularly and keep it going i'm grateful to all the wonderful women who've agreed to be guests on this show and lent their stories to me and and all of us listening and i hope that you all have much to be grateful for as well and that you're in good health i am so excited to spend some time with my family i've missed them terribly And I'll be up in Maryland for this break, just hanging out with them. And it's very fitting because my guest this week is also a fellow Marylander. She's from Baltimore, Maryland, and she has had an incredible year. I'm talking about Brittany Spencer, who's just released her first EP called Compassion. But although this is her first release, she has been working away in Nashville, honing her artistry and her music. And People Magazine has named her One to Watch. She is a 2021 Spotify hot country artist to watch. She is a Pandora 2021 artist to watch and a member of the CMT Next Women of Country class. She's known for her free spirit and standout ability to mold life, truth, and wild imagination into songs. I love her recent single, Sober and Skinny. She's been out on the road with Jason Isbell. She has performed with the high women at Bottle Rock and... She's about to hit the road next year with the one and only Reba McIntyre. I loved getting to know my fellow Marylander, and I know that you will too. So without further ado, here is Brittany Spencer. I kind of have that story, like a lot of people, where you're so anxious to get to your dream as a kid. And for me, I knew I needed to leave home to do it. So I was always ready to leave until I was scared to do it. But then I finally got over that fear. Well, actually, I never got over the fear. I just did it anyway. I spent so much time just trying to figure out a way to go. And now that I've gone, I have such a deeper appreciation for my city. And I feel like there's so much that I've missed and that my city didn't miss me. I feel, honestly, as I've been 
in this crazy time of just watching my life change so dramatically and so publicly as well because of music. I feel so much love from my hometown. I feel so much pride for my hometown. I feel like I made the right decision to leave. But there's a part of me that stayed. I mean, that's such a beautiful, poetic way to put it. I'm sure they miss you. And I'm sure you're a point of pride for Baltimore, too, especially taking up the space that specifically you are taking up in country music. And I imagine being from Maryland, I've heard you've been asked this question before, and I've been asked it as well. Like, how Nashville from Maryland, it's not the hotbed of country music, but you and I came up in a time where it didn't really matter what region you were from. It was so prevalent to see all these women on the radio in that space with the chicks and with Shania and with Faith Hill and, you know, even Reba and everything and the accessibility of it. And tell me if you agree with someone like Taylor Swift, who was mm -hmm. from the Northeast, who didn't yep. you know necessarily sing with a country accent, who was singing these really confessional, personal songs. I felt like, I always knew I wanted to be a musician, but maybe there was a more wholesome pursuit that I could find in Nashville with all the things that were happening. Dude, are we the same person? Because this <laughs> shit is crazy. I've said this so many times in interviews where people ask, how did you get into country music from Baltimore? And I always say the same thing. I'm like, dude, if you flip the radio dial a few times, you're going to find something you like. And Baltimore is like this weird hybrid. Like, I don't know, you find the hood in one spot and you'll find this like countryside in another. Like I lived in Baltimore. I'm from Baltimore city. And most, a lot of things I did were in the city, but also my parents, they live like 15 minutes from, I think Marriottsville, I think it's called my, my first photo shoot. I took out there. Me and my friends just went driving and we found this ranch and we saw these horses and we took my photos. <laughs> like my first ever photo shoot was out there. And I mean, even just the kind of, piggyback off what you said about Taylor Swift. I mean, that was like a serious gateway for me. I say all the time, the chicks, they made me feel like I loved country music and they sent me on this rabbit hole and it sent me to Shania and it sent me to Brad Paisley, Allison Krauss, and it sent me to Sarah Evans and Kenny Chesney and Keith Urban. And I just fell in love. Shortly after that, or maybe some years down the road, actually, Taylor Swift, I heard her for the first time and it was something about her not having a twang, being really poetic and being from Pennsylvania that made me feel like I could actually do this and I didn't have to admire from afar. It was just something about that that made it feel, it made country music feel so much more accessible. Like it wasn't this thing I had to window watch that I could actually be a part. Like I wanted to be, but was too afraid to because I felt so different. I mean, you know, as a kid, nobody likes feeling different. The idea in the beginning for me was almost like I could have gone to L.A., could have gone to New York. But what was happening in Nashville just felt like something that was attainable, not only for the storytelling, and the music and the fact that we were exposed to all different types of commercial music that were working on country radio, but the abundance of women at the time. And at the time, that was the only thing that made sense for me. And I know how close you are with your family, too, just based on stories that I've heard you tell. And I was the same way. And growing up in the church, too, is another thing that we both share. And even so, it still seems 
like a pretty hard thing to achieve to where I'm trying to please everybody. Oh man, good luck. Well, I think you've done that so well with, and I want to hear about- I feel like I've pissed people off too. (laughs) Well, I would rephrase it as you've pushed the envelope for change. Okay. You have these beautiful songs that are a call to action where you aren't afraid to ruffle feathers, like thoughts and prayers, even compassion feels a bit like a protest song. It is. I think that what's the importance to you to be that voice who's maybe going to go against the grain a little bit and not try to please everybody, but speak your own truth? I think that in my own personhood, I am a people pleaser. And so music becomes this way for me to get out whatever angst I'm kind of contending with inside. And it helps me process as a person. And so when I put out music, like I believe in standing for something. I believe in making some sort of statement with your life and your decisions and where we put our time, our resources, our support. But for me, that's just being a person. That's not really trying to make a statement, I guess like a big grand statement. I'm actually just trying to care about people, not just in the sense of being kind to somebody, you know, being kind to your neighbor, giving them a cup of sugar when they ask for it. I'm not really interested in what my friend William calls individual acts of kindness. Those are nice and those are awesome. And those are really great tools for relationship building. And I really do think those things can help change the world. My personal focus is How are we treating people as a whole? How are we making things equal for everyone? Because you can help one person, but that only helps them. There's thousands and sometimes millions of people facing a certain kind of problem. And that one individual act of kindness you did for that one person, unfortunately, doesn't translate to everybody. That's what I think Compassion, the EP, was really about. I just had some shit on my brain and I just need to get it out. I don't even know that I thought anybody would listen to it. If anything, my career pursuits was to have a body of music out online that I could use to pitch myself for like a 2 a.m. festival slot. And I've said that so many times. I mean, honestly, that was that was my goal. And honestly, I might still do it. Like, <laughs> I'm grateful for all these opportunities, but I still would play the 2 a.m. slot. I'm just so interested in the whole story. In my immediate future, I don't plan on putting out a whole project full of love songs or heartbreak songs or songs that only just talk about relationships because that's not life. You know, who was I before I fell in love? Who was I before I had kids? Who was the girl that had a dream? Who's a girl who has friends, who has insecurities, who has thoughts about the world, who just wants to write about a glass of water that I had this morning? I don't know. I just I want to talk about the grand scope of life and If I'm honest, that is what draws me so much and always has to country music. 
the idea that you can tell the stories of life and the whole picture. My brain is wired to consider the whole picture. At least I've been trying to wire it that way for a while now and not make all my perspectives for the things that are right in front of me, for the things that are already in place. I think that's kind of the beauty and the joy and the pain of being an artist is that we literally imagine something from nothing. And sometimes we have to reimagine what something could be. And that's how I see my place in the world. And you're being so inclusive in your perspective. And being an empath is something that's very, can be potentially draining. But I think oh, that very. that's what the challenge is in the writing room is to try and get into the minds of other people and try to understand the plight of our fellow brothers and sisters and offering that up to everybody, but also having to live with the stance that you're taking. I mean, you're not doing this to garner attention or favor in a certain crowd. You're doing, you're speaking your truth because you are the one who has to live with that for your career. You want it to be a sustainable career, speaking to something that matters to you. Like what you said in thoughts and prayers when all these school shootings were happening and these are hot button topics. And I think in country music, when I moved here, In 2008, I was discouraged from aligning with certain causes that would be skewed as a political cause or would upset the status quo. But I think that you can't do that forever. You can't expect to have a career where you can be making music decades down the road if you're here to be a sycophant or appease the masses. Oh, yeah, especially today, I think. If there was ever a time to care about something in our lifetime, it's now. This is the time to care about something. I'm not saying everybody needs to, you know, get super politically involved or charged, but you do need to be aware. I mean, I don't know. I just, if you don't care about something now, if you don't stand for something now, then I don't know that people ever really will. I mean, this renaissance we've been seeing happen over the last year and a half. I mean... We may never see this again. We haven't really even seen this since the 90s. This time has been so peculiar and it's so easy to recognize it in hindsight. But I think that if we're able to, for a moment, live in the moment and recognize the moment and see it for what it is, I think that it could be really helpful for a lot of us to recognize that we're standing inside of history. We're in the eye of the hurricane right now. We are. And who wants to dance when the rain is gone, you know? Do right. the thing now. This is the time to do it, you know? <laughs> but I think if you're not having a bit of an existential crisis right now, artist or not, then you might want to go get that checked out. You might be a sociopath because this is, I feel like <laughs> an exposed nerve right now. There's so much information coming our way. And like, how do you condense that in the writing room? And this is a two-part question because- We talked about you having an upbringing in the church, and I think you have so many songs that beautifully address your spirituality, but then you're also able to present your self-awareness in songs like Sorry's Don't Work Anymore, where you are owning up to your shortcomings as a human being in a relationship, and all of those things are true. Do you ever feel you have to explain yourself outside of the music, or do you just feel peace in letting 
all those things be extensions of who you are in your music? I think it's a combination of both. People always ask the questions about the topics of the songs that I've put out. And I do feel a need to answer the questions, but on my own, I probably would never even think to explain it because I, I said all I wanted to say in the song. I said everything that I thought was needed. It's interesting to know that I've kind of positioned myself to be part of certain conversations, not intentionally, by just actually saying what was on my mind. It kind of, it wrote me into this thing that's much bigger than myself, it feels like, which is really, it's a dream. And so I'm mm. constantly wrestling within the tension of, oh my gosh, I'm a recluse, I'm an introvert. I just want to put out this song and I just want to leave it alone. But also I'm so happy that this conversation is being had because it's so needed. And recognizing that I kind of have a part in that conversation sometimes is very humbling. And I don't have any regrets or complaints about it. I'm just here. Me listening down to your music, I felt very seen just seeing how you strike that balance of being someone who is spiritual and who cares about their religion, but who also is able to understand that we are many things from day to day and we're fallible. And that is what I know that a lot of genres are confessional and can tell stories and can remove the person singing from the narrative. But to me, like you're all there and it's complex and beautiful and really human. And that is what country music is. And seeing someone like you who is taking up a space as a black woman in country music and doing it so effortlessly. And it just seems so organic. Like it should have happened a long time ago, but you're helping propel that truth forward. Like that's the reality now is that you are a formidable force in country music. Is genre something that you even focus on? Cause I also think musically that you span a lot of different sounds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like there are some things that I'll determine for myself, but so much of what we do as artists is actually just kind of determined by the people who listen to our music. So much of how we're defined is really through the audience. I tell people all day long, I'm like, dude, I'm not a Christian artist. I'm not trying to, I'm not even really trying to put my faith on display. I just grew up in church. And if I'm honest, so much about my faith is even complex I'm not the kind of Christian that I think a lot of people would perceive me to be. Even though I put out a song about Jesus and whiskey, I'm like, dude, I just wrote a song about someone having a drunken prayer, you know, in my right. song, Whiskey Lows. I'm not trying to make a statement about my faith, except that there's a person here who needed some help and they, they felt like they could talk to God. That's really right. the point. But for some people, it might be this huge spiritual element Sweetest, I'll end.
my thing is it's more important for me that people find a place and see a part of themselves reflected in music more so than me trying to drill a point home and telling mm. people who I am. I can deal with that privately. I can do all that stuff privately, but honestly, if it helps somebody get through the day, then fuck. Think whatever you want. Feel what you need to feel because once you put a song out, it's not even really yours anymore. That's the gift and the beauty and the burden of music and being an artist. And that's the beauty and the brilliance of poetry, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's open for interpretation. Oftentimes the disconnect is others' perception of us and us not living up to that expectation or not mm-hmm. being in line with it that I feel like is what causes the most, not to sound dramatic, but like agony for artists is like, mm-hmm. oh shit, I cast this perception for some reason that you are seeing that I didn't mean to portray. And it's like, that's going to happen in any field of work that anyone does. Like we can't control how people consume what it is that we're giving them. But our intention can be to include everybody. And I think that's a really selfless perspective for you to have when you're crafting these songs is to think about, all right, there is a gray area and there's a huge margin for you to consider this to be something other than what I intended. And that's okay because it's yours. And I'm much smaller than this bigger picture of what we're all doing, this rapport that we have from artist to audience. Mm Mm-hmm. If someone gets upset or frustrated because I didn't live up to a certain expectation, I'm like, dude, don't put me on a pedestal. I'm an artist. I'm a storyteller. I'm a person. And I don't mean to let you down. I just put out a song and it meant something to me. I felt compelled to put it out. Of course, that goes against celebrity culture. That goes against, I mean, honestly, all of our interests. But it's the truth. And I'd rather tell that more than anything else. I hope people find a home and find a place within the songs that I put out and also find some happiness and some joy. I mean, for me, that's how I balance it all out. I try to, I have moments, you know, like that album or that EP rather, Compassion, and even Silver and Skinny, like they're snapshots of where I was. And they're just four of the, I don't know how many songs I even wrote between 2018 and 2019, like maybe no less than 75 It's just a snapshot of four songs that were really on my brain. Creatively, I thought they were really cool and I really wanted to find a really nice way, an artistic way to engage those topics and find a way for them to all kind of coexist together on a project. You know, that was 2018, 2019. I still feel all those things, but there are so many other things that I'm experiencing right now. If I'm honest, as I'm preparing to kind of start narrowing down songs that I will put on a future project, however way that may even look. Part of my concern is, do people have known me for, have gotten to know me over the last year and a half as this artist that made an EP with only four songs and two of them are protest songs. I hope that people are okay when they hear me talk about something else and we just accept that project for what it was, but that you still feel the heart in those songs and the ones that I put out later on, because I'm still the same person. I still have those same ideals. It's important for me to tell the whole story. And there's so much more to me, just like there's so much more to you, so much more to Katie down the street and Amber and Keisha and John and Tony. It's so much more. We're layered people, you know? 
we're layered people. And sometimes we look back five years ago and we don't even recognize ourselves sometimes for the good or the bad. And I'm no, I'm no exception to the rule. And I hope that people are open to hearing me continue to tell the stories of my life and my observations. And hopefully it's their life and their observations too. I have to read this tweet that you just put out on October 16th. You said, in October 2015, I was a student sitting inside a pew watching Jason Isbell soundcheck for his show at the Ryman. Today, I'm opening for him on that very same stage. I'm ready to have so much fun with everyone coming today. What a full circle moment as an aspiring songwriter to see someone like Jason performing in a place with the sanctity that the Ryman has. And then, I mean, Holly should share a stage with them. And I wish I could have been there so badly. I was on the road, but you just absolutely shined and you made it so. Like, what is that like? It would be enough just to be playing the mother church, but then to share it with people like Amanda and Jason. It's unreal. I mean, I've been on the road with Jason since August of this year. I've been on two different tours, which I'm super grateful for. I've been touring with him. And also I've been touring with Brett Eldridge. And just the opportunity to share the stage with an artist that you admire and have admired for so long is such a humbling feeling. And it's also like, it's such an affirming feeling as well. You know, it's such an affirming feeling. And Jason is exactly that. Like he is, he's one of the most selfless artists I think I've ever met, which is hard to do in an industry where people are kind of having to be out for themselves, or at least they feel like they have to at times, whether because they've been hurt and they were giving and, and then, you know, people took advantage or it's the way that they feel like they have to survive or just because the narrative that I mean, particularly even like, I mean, for us as women, like you feel like there's a few slots, you know, you have to fight tooth and nail for yours. And so it's so much competition and bitterness, I think, in the industry. And so to meet someone and to be able to build a relationship with someone like Jason, it's mind-blowingly refreshing. And for this to happen at the very beginning of my career I think it's very quintessential for me. I think that- You've been working a long time, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I, I just put out my first body of music in, I mean, last year. And this is my first time like really touring. Like I've done background singing stuff, but I've not been on like a full on tour where I'm like playing 45 minutes like my songs. Honestly, I'm playing a set longer than my five songs that are out can even like fill up. So it's been a lot of new songs on the road as well. But it's so important, I think, for me, there's something I've needed to learn from this. And I think that it has truly set a precedent in my mind and in my psyche of how I want to engage as an artist, whether it's how I engage with newer artists, how I engage with the team around me, how I decide to tour, how I decide to write songs, how I build out a show. Like that's been at the forefront of my mind. And I, I don't think that it was when I put out Compassion, the EP, I wasn't thinking about touring. I wasn't thinking about building out a show list. I wasn't thinking about how to build out a show. And now I am because I'm on the road and I'm like, oh, 
Cool. I need more up-tempo songs. Cool. I need something to balance this part out. Or this song would be great if it was another song with this particular feel right here. It's given me an opportunity to kind of learn and gleam from, not even from afar, like up close and personal on a side stage. You're in it. And, you know, Jason has watched my set, the entirety of it, like so many times where I just look over and I'm like, what the hell is he doing here? He's just watching my set. He could be doing anything, but he's watching my set. He's chatting with my musicians. He, he's talking with them. He's, and they, I mean, my musicians love him. They, I mean, everyone that I've brought out on the road, like he's their idol. Like one of my guitarists, Vinny, he moved to Nashville because of Jason. Like he felt so inspired by Jason's music. He moved there. And so for his first time to meet Jason is to, just be walking backstage at his show and for Jason to even give him like some advice or, or to compliment him or tell him he's doing a good job or he's doing really well with me and we're sonically just meshing together like that meant the world to him and that means the world to me because that's what I want to do that's the kind of artist I want to be you know watching people how they handle business watching how they engage with everyone not just their musicians but the whole road crew it's really a joy to see and I feel like I've learned so much being on the road with Jason and with Brett. And maybe this is the norm. I'm just so blown away, honestly. It's not. I'm not saying that them watching you is not the norm. I think there's a lot of really genuinely supportive artists who take out their support acts and are trying to get behind something that they believe in. But just your baptism by fire kind of experience of, for the first time, having music out there and then hitting the road with people like Jason Isbell and his incredibly talented wife, Amanda Shires. We'll talk about the high women later. But and Brett Eldridge, who's playing arenas. I mean, these are not only different acts that you're aligning with, but these are different spaces. These are different Mm -hmm. audiences. And the way you play an arena show is totally different from the way you play a theater show. And then you're learning how to like live off of a tour bus or a sprinter or whatever. And and doing your own makeup and putting a set together and seeing where musically you might need to supplement your set. I mean, it's just the amount of stimulus being thrown your way and the rate at which you're learning has to just be exponential. I mean, it has to be overwhelming. How are you feeling? (laughs) How is your, how are you physically feeling with all of this? Dude, I'm taking in so much and my body is taking in so much as well. It's so much pivoting. The first, I think like two or three shows with Brett, it was just me. I played my guitar and then I realized I learned, I was like, okay, I should bring another guitarist out here with me. And I did. Brought another guitarist. And now the show is different. It's a different kind of crowd, which I love. Like the crowd, like they ready to jam. Like it's just, it's a different sort of vibe. And so I'm switching out songs I'm like, okay, cool. I need to bring in this song that I have, which I'm thankful that I've been writing a whole bunch over the last year. I'm like, okay, cool. We need to bring in this song. Let's do that. Okay, cool. Let's bring an electric guitar here. We're just moving things around. We're just pivoting. I've just grown because you have to find your footing and it takes a little second to do that. You have to pivot and you have to catch on pretty quickly. And it is an honor to be able to be in a position where you have to do such things. Oh, yeah. And I know you have dates already on your touring calendar that go all the way into March 2022. You're doing the Kayamo cruise and that you are 
here's the coup de gras is that you're doing shows with the Reba McIntyre next year. Oh my god! You just announced that's wild. <sighs> Reba, that was such <laughs> a shock when we got that call. I could not believe it. I cannot wait to meet her. Oh my gosh, Reba is just she's meant so much to me for so long, for so many reasons. I mean, her music, of course, is incredible. I think when I think of Dolly and Reba particularly, I think about their entrepreneurship more than anything. I think about how they were able to engage their creativity in several different markets. I mean, I have a dress. I have a Reba dress in my closet that I haven't worn yet, and I bought it in like 2017. Maybe like, <laughs> the Reba tour is the time to bring yes. this out. Yes, absolutely. Like her fashion line, like having a TV show. Going to Hollywood like that, you know, and there are people Talk where- Talk about pivoting. I mean, those two women- incredible. Were able to just evolve yes. so gracefully and not just to stay relevant. I don't think they ever had to make an effort to stay relevant, but just to continue digging deeper and deeper into what makes them passionate about what they do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that matters. I mean, when we talk about building a career- so many creatives are just creative in general. Like we're not just creative when we sing a song. We're creative in general. We we can do so many things. And sometimes I feel like we're in industries that sometimes discourage us from doing that because, well, this one thing is working. Keep doing that thing. You know, or if you do this thing, it's going to take away from time that you have to do this thing that you've always been doing, that people know you for. It's really hard to take a risk. It's hard to engage your other creative senses, I feel like sometimes in a way that's so public. And again, like I said, I'm new. I'm just, I'm just, these are my little observations. And I don't know if they've, they were discouraged from doing this stuff. I don't know. But I just think it's so beautiful when I get to watch artists, particularly musicians, be able to branch out and to do really cool things that they might not have, you know, at first be known for, but to take a chance, you know, to take a chance and to try something new and to, ultimately, hopefully create a legacy out of it. I love that so much. And I, that's that fighting spirit that I've felt as I've, you know, kind of just looked at the trajectory that Reba has just always been on. The history and the story of Reba is phenomenal. I don't know. And her hair is always laid. So I'm here for that too. Yeah. And I, I just, and of course our songs are incredible. I just admire this woman so much. And I think it's an all-female opening act lineup that she has. Every weekend of her tour, she's bringing out a different female artist, which I think is so fucking dope. Like, I'm sure we've probably seen it more often now than before, but just to watch people care about those sorts of things is so refreshing. It's so cool. It's a whole see it, you can be it idea mm -hmm. of, oh, music industry, you don't think that there are enough women for me to book out an entire tour with various female opening acts like no it was easy for me to source this and you say you admire her and i'm sure that there's mutual admiration there like your song sober and skinny there was a nashville scene writer who basically called it a more pessimistic take on tracy chapman's fast car and that was a song that i think if it were to come out today would fit so securely in what's happening in country music but what does it feel like to be compared to someone who's as iconic as Tracy Chapman? It makes me feel, gosh, I want to find the right word for it. 
Actually, fuck it. I don't care. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like maybe the stuff that I do, it lands somewhere. Maybe it connects with somebody. It makes me feel like maybe what I've done is timeless. I don't know. Maybe people will listen to this in 10, 20 years. You know, and remember that girl who sang this quirky, weird ass song about not being skinny. I don't know. Maybe it'll mean something. Because in a perfect world, you get sober, I get skinny. We live off of more than pennies. Writing checks that we can cash and keeping all our promises. We got faith, we got each other. We grow up and we get better. Things need fixing, we got plenty. When you get sober, I'll get skinny. I want to know about your relationship with Common Exchange and if you could kind of explain to me how that came together and what that looks like in your family, your musical collaborative family there. How did that come to be? Yeah, so it's kind of like a big hub of creatives who get together and just make socially conscious worship music. And for me, like, I didn't know what I was doing in the very beginning. I just met some friends and I thought, oh, this is cool. I'll I'll write these songs and I'll say some things here that I feel like I can't put into my music, which is country music. I'll write some things here that I feel like I can't say. And if I can put a pen right here, for me, over the last year and a half, the conversations about Black women in country music, it's been a shock to everybody, including, I think, people who are Black people in country music, because I've spent seven years in Nashville basically really feeling like I couldn't talk about these things. And so when everyone was ready to start talking about it, it shook me and it kind of, it was a shock to me too. I'm like, oh, so, okay, you didn't want me to talk about it. Now you do want me to talk about it. Right. And so it's been like a, I mean, it's a needed conversation and it's beautiful and it's organically happened. And I'm so grateful that this conversation is still going on because it needs to. But there were things that I was doing with Common Hymnal that I knew or felt like I could not do with my country songs. And so that became an outlet for me until I got to the point where I realized the things that I'm saying here, I actually need to be saying in my music too. Because with Common Exchange, a lot of, or Common Hymnal, the songs that I was writing, I never intended for them to be for me. Now, Whiskey Lows, I definitely wanted that song. I said, nope, this is my song. Every other song, I never had really any intention on singing. I, I was really wanting someone else to do it. And it was a place where I could really stretch myself creatively, where I could connect with people and friends that I still have to this day. And we could really have a more socially conscious approach to how we engage people through songwriting. How do we make more people feel invited? How do we, how do we tell the stories that sometimes don't enter into song form because people think it won't be a hit. How do you make space for people who want to hear songs about racism and Jesus or whiskey and Jesus or sexual abuse or refugees or mental health? How, how do you engage these topics that so often in Christian communities, people sometimes will gloss over because it's not the hot topic. We just wanted to make songs for people who felt like they were on the outskirts of their faith, of religion, of society, and just kind of 
make lyrics that kind of gave voice to a lot of the pain that comes along with being in marginalized communities or feeling left out. And so that's what Common Hymnal is. And honestly, it's done such a great job, I think, of connecting so many creatives to make the sort of songs that have been put out over the last few years, including Whiskey Lows. Whiskey Lows isn't a song on one of my projects. It's on Common Hymnal's project. And I couldn't be more proud of what we were all able to accomplish together and what Common Hymnal is still able to do and accomplish to this day. I just think it's so needed. Is it accessible to anybody or what is the forum in which people can exchange these ideas that you're talking about? Yeah. A lot of times it's writing camps or content creation camps. So a bunch of creatives being put together, broken off into groups of three or four to write songs together, which I mean, makes sense. I mean, it's based in Nashville and it's a perfect place for that to happen. I mean, Nashville is a songwriting town. People are really big on co-writing culture here in Nashville already. So people aren't shocked about the format, but it's pretty standard in that way. And, and there's writing camps, people write songs, and then sometimes people record them. Or sometimes like Common Hymnal has, I think like two or three projects out where there's a whole list of songs that were written at camps and a few songs are pulled out or then the list is narrowed down and then deciding who sings it. I mean, like our debut project, it was 23 of us. We narrowed down the songs, I think like maybe 15 or 16. And there were 23 of us, ironically, in a very weird and unplanned way, everyone plays an instrument. So the band for the project, they're all artists and we're all literally switching back and forth. So someone might be playing drums on this song, but then they're singing the lead vocal on this next song. I mean, honestly, Common was played a great part in helping me find myself, figure out what I like, what I don't like. What do I want to engage in my own personal artistry? Because I always knew I wanted to be an artist. What do I want to engage? What do I want to say? How do I want to do this thing? And honestly, Common Hymnal gave space for me to answer a lot of these different questions. And creatively, it was a huge influence on me. everybody. I hope you've been enjoying my conversation with Brittany Spencer. And we all love her singing voice, right? It's just absolutely stunning. But I have to say, I also love her speaking voice. I found myself just transfixed during our conversation. She's so confident and measured in how she speaks about herself and her music. And I think that I'd attribute that to a fun fact that I learned which is that of the many jobs she was working as she was putting this first release together, she was working at one of my favorite radio stations in Nashville, Roots Radio, WMOT, under the one and only Jesse Scott, who is just this badass journalist and DJ. I've had the privilege of being in the hot seat with her during several interviews before. So it's very cool that that was one of her mentors when she first moved to Nashville. My favorite takeaway from this conversation, and there are many, but my favorite part was when she 
asked her audience to please allow her to potentially pivot if her next project contains themes that might divert from what we heard on compassion. We all have these ideas of who someone else is and we hold them to that standard. But I think that we should also extend grace to the people that we love, allowing them to change and allowing them to explore who they are and and their work. And I think that it's really cool that Brittany is going to embrace that and do that potentially on her next project. But I think the overarching idea is to apply that same grace to ourselves. And we can contradict ourselves potentially sometimes. That's all right. We're just all figuring it out. And I think Brittany's got a whole lot of stuff figured out. Let's get back to our conversation. Your mom has always known that you were going to be a kick-ass artist. She put you at a magnet school for the creative arts in Towson, Maryland. And even when you're like, hey, mom, I'm CMT's next woman in the country. She was like, I know. I knew you were going to be. And she always had this attitude. Your brother is a visual director. Didn't he? He directed one of your music videos as well. Yeah, he co-directed Sober and Skinny right beside Nikki Fletcher. I mean, this is a pretty wild thing for you to experience as an individual. But of course, by extension, your family is also going through this. Is that something that you're just enjoying or do you feel any weight from that? You know, a little bit of weight sometimes, but honestly, it's overwhelmingly just so fun. I made it a point in the beginning when all this stuff started kind of popping off last year, I made a point to engage my family as much as possible. I don't get to go home very often, if I'm honest. I do it now more, but I mean, I've always been like a starving artist or a student. So like getting home was just like, It's not something that I just kind of did all the time. And so I decided I wanted to engage my family. One, because I want them to have fun too. You know, I want them to to look at these things happening and to enjoy the ride and to see. I don't want to lose touch. And the only way to not lose touch is just to bring people along. But I wanted to engage my family, like, and even their aspirations and dreams that if it makes sense in this space, let's do it. My brother had never directed a video, but I knew, like, I know my brother. He has always had such an incredible visual eye. He loves music so, so very much. He's always wanted to engage creativity, but from a different angle. Like, he can't sing, he can't act, you know, does a dance, that's not his thing. But he can really help bring a vision to life, and he can dream up what a setting is supposed to be. And uh, I remember (laughs) we got on a call, me, my manager, my brother, And Nikki, we got on a call just to talk about Silver and Skinny and like the visual it would be or have rather. And no one was expecting this, but he's like, oh, yeah, I already have an entire rundown of everything, like minute by minute. He just ran the whole list. He just read it out loud, like to the point where this is the funniest part. I don't remember the exact minute, but he said at 2.30, Brittany's going to cry right here. And we all were just like, the fuck? Like, this is is interesting. Like, this is an actual treatment. And of course, I didn't cry. I mean, I cried on set, but not at the moment that he had described. Right. Come on, Meryl Streep. (laughs) Show us those tears. 
I know, right? I started crying for another reason, but he, right. he, I knew he was capable and he showed up and he really showed up and, and I knew that he could do it, you know, and it's, it's no testament of me. It's actually just every bit of testament of who he is and not, but I, I do that. I want to engage my friends and my family as much as possible. And I'm, I'm a relatively smart person. Like, I'm not going to just be having people do shit just cause like, that's not my thing. I'm not that person, but the reality is that if your life is moving and you have these friends who could be moving along with you and they could be doing a really good job and they could be also a really helpful addition to your team, why not? Because life is automatically going to pull you away from the people you love anyway. It's going to become so much harder to have your friendships. It's going to be so much harder to keep up with your relationships if you can bring a few along, why not? Why not do the thing that you love the most with people that you love the most? It can be a really lonely road to walk, especially if you have intentions of doing this for a long time. And I think you're right to understand the distinction between being inclusive and being reckless. But if people can deliver and it makes you a happier person for it, and you're doing your work with more heart and intention because you're surrounded by supportive, loving people, then it's going to be easier to do this for a long time and to not be distracted by all the other heartache of being homesick and not feeling like you're not isolated out on the road. And I think that's by extension, just another reason that it's so wonderful to see you with the high women. Just the amount of love that I have for all the women in the high women, it's just, I love them because they all in their own individual ways have a very specific goal to uplift other people. They have a very specific goal to avail themselves to causes that are much bigger than themselves. They're just also dope and fun as people to be around. And the amount of love that I have felt from each of them, it blows my mind. People tell you, don't meet your heroes. And I'm meeting my heroes, man. I'm really meeting my heroes and I am blown away and I am encouraged to want to be that for somebody else one day if I have to be. If I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to be looked at as a person of, I don't know, some sort of influence, that's what I want to have. You know, whatever the fuck they cooking up, whatever is in their pot, in their kitchen, I want to cook up that shit. Because, damn it, it, it really does make someone feel like the world has so many possibilities when they treat people the way that they do. It only pushes you to want to do the same for somebody else. I've talked very openly about how Marin's hero album talked me off the ledge when I was really ready to stop pursuing this industry. Not that my music would change, not that I would write something else or I'd try to fit into another genre. Because, I mean, honestly, what I write is what comes. I'm not aiming to have a certain sound or have a certain sort of impact in a certain space. This is whatever the fuck comes out of me. This is what I wanted to come out. But I was ready to stop because I was just tired. I was meeting with publishers at the time and I was feeling really discouraged and I was frustrated and I got tired of always feeling like no one got me. And then I heard her album and it encouraged me to just keep going. Also, I love that she didn't have a whole bunch of songs about heartbreak. I love that she talked about life. I love that she, on the album, she's actually not the hero. <laughs> like songs like I Wish I Was and Once, She's not the villain, but she's probably not the hero either. And it's beautiful. And I just thought, oh, there's some nuance to this artist. 
she probably just learned how to save her damn self. That's probably what I learned in that record. I talk to so many women on this podcast and the way that I like to conclude our conversations is by asking not what you find to be a detriment of being a woman in the industry, but what do you think is an advantage? What is the best part about being a woman in this day and age in this industry? I think we're very resourceful. I think sometimes people think that women innately just know how to do certain things. And maybe that's true. I don't know. I'm happy to be wrong. But I really do think that in order for us to survive, and in many regards, we've actually had to just be this way. We've had to know how to multitask. We've had to know how to consider someone else's life experience. We've had to be more empathetic at times. We've had to consider perspectives other than our own just to survive. And I think that, I'm not saying we're better for the struggle, but we're better for the lessons that we've learned and the skill set that we've acquired because we were just trying to make it. A lot of times I'm just trying to be resourceful. I'm not trying to be the smartest or most creative person in the world. I'm actually just trying to make my own lane because damn it, no one's going to give me one or let me be in theirs. And so for me, being a woman is recognizing the need, whether it's my own or someone else's, because that's kind of how we survive. Well, everybody, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brittany Spencer. Please give her a follow on her socials at Brittany Spencer. That's Brittany with two T's. Go catch her on her In a Perfect World tour and make sure to listen to her new EP, Compassion. You will not regret it. To keep up with me and my music and my touring calendar, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I am Maggie Rose. Make sure to catch us out on the remainder of our Have a Seat tour. All those dates are on MaggieRoseMusic.com. And give me a follow on With the Band if you want some exclusive content and just some special nuggets for you guys. I love keeping up with you on there. And to keep up with me, my music, and my touring calendar, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I am Maggie Rose. If you can, come catch us out at one of our shows on the remainder of the Have a Seat Tour. All of those dates are on MaggieRoseMusic.com, and we're doing a killer New Year's Eve celebration show at Del Mar Hall in St. Louis if you guys want to ring in 2022 with us. Follow me on With the Band for some exclusive content and live stream shows, and even some exclusive Sleep the Songbird content, along with new music, concerts, and more. Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media, hosted by Maggie Rose, produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, Kirsten Cluthy, and Brad Stratton. Editing by Justin Thomas at Revoice Media. Music by Maggie Rose. Show logo by Premier Music Group. Graphics by Catherine Boyles. To close out the show, here's Sorry's Don't Work Anymore by Brittany Spencer. And please have a very happy Thanksgiving. I try, I try, I try. 